created live on Fireside. Welcome to Office Hours with Dr. DeVoe. This is the next evolution of professional development in higher education. It is my honor to bring you higher education thought leaders, topics of note, current trends, and new information to ponder. Shows are replayed on Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, iHeartRadio Podcasts, and you can subscribe, rate, and share on your favorite podcast app. Uh, Today is our second show uh, in the Beyond Transfer Policy series. Uh, Beyond Policy, excuse me, the Beyond Transfer Policy Advisory Board, otherwise known as PAB, has issued a series of white papers referred to as the No Easy Answer series. The PAB is facilitated by SOVA, a higher education consulting organization, and consists of a group of 12 expert practitioners who are some of the most positive humans I have ever met in my life, but that's another story for when we're talking. The series highlights several challenges to the transfer process and digs deep into the layers of questionable business practices that have become standard in higher education. Um, This is a show that we are focusing on accreditation. Uh, Accreditors have been flying under the radar, keeping their role within the higher ed landscape to the work of maintaining and ensuring a degree of quality but accreditors have great influence in institutional strategy and priorities. Transfer student degree attainment isn't an essential aspect of accreditation and the members of Beyond Transfer Policy Advisory Board believe that without them, these accreditors, the needle on the transfer culture shift will not happen. Uh, For this episode, we're gonna be joined by Ron Anderson and Maria Hesse. They are authors of the white paper that is focusing on uh, accreditation, and I want to welcome them to the microphone. Uh, We're going to start with Ron. Ron, introduce yourself to folks. Tell us where you're in here from and how you got involved in this, and then, Maria, we're going to send it to you. Oh, I think you're on mute, so I need you to unmute yourself. That's okay. Oh, I do not have your voice coming through. So you may need to uh, adjust that. Um, and why don't we start with Maria, hopefully we'll get you on. So Maria, tell us uh, where you're calling in from and tell us a little bit about uh, how you got involved in this. Sure, now can you hear me okay? Yes, I can hear you just fine. Great, well, really nice to be with you today. Uh, so my name is Maria Hesse. I currently work at Arizona State University as a professor of practice in higher education, teaching uh, graduate students how to run colleges and universities. But for many years, I worked in the Maricopa Community College District and retired as the president of a three-campus college in the Southeast Valley of Metro Phoenix, and then was quickly swooped up to become the vice provost at Arizona State University in charge of academic partnerships, many of whom were with community colleges. 
So, of course, having a community college perspective and a university perspective, um, I think, laid a great foundation for me to understand the issues that transfer students face from both perspectives. And uh, therefore, I was naturally interested when uh, folks were putting together this policy advisory board and the work that they were doing. Maria, in the white paper, you give three reasons to focus on accreditors, okay? And those are, uh, they can impact at a scale that institution by institution cannot. Um, they have a platform to influence long range change. And um, the third is higher education is responsible to accreditors. So those three seem pretty straightforward to anyone who's worked with uh, accreditation or gone through an accreditation process, et cetera. Um, and so I would like to know from you uh, why uh, these, uh, talk to us more about the dynamic of accreditors and why they are so important to this effort of reimagining transfer culture in higher education. Well, it seemed to us on the policy advisory board that accreditors had a rather unique influence over institutions because nearly all colleges and universities wanna remain eligible for federal financial aid and they want their credits to transfer to other institutions. And so and they want to have regional accreditation. So it seemed that the possibility of at least exploring the potential of having accreditors uh, influence institutions to do better by way of transfer students uh, should be explored further. And it seemed to us also that it was one of the only really uh, pervasive levers that crossed over state and system and institutional boundaries that if we could change the accreditation systems or get accreditors to pay more um, to have more interest in and pay more attention to the needs of students who are moving across institutions, then what might happen over time is that uh, we would create change at scale. So that was really our interest in paying attention to accreditors as well as other solutions that we're proposing in some of the other white papers. Absolutely. Um, I want to see, Ron, how are you doing right now? Can I hear you? I still can't hear you for whatever reason. Um, I don't know what you're using for a microphone because I heard you earlier when we were doing our test. Um, so what I would like you to do is um, if you are not using a microphone, um, if you're just using your device, are you just using your device? Okay. Um, then just make sure that Fireside has access to your, um, to your microphone um, in your settings. And um, then let's, because uh, I'm hearing some kind of rattling. Uh, so I don't know if that's you or if that's Marie, Maria. So um, Maria, put yourself on mute just for a second. I just want to see what we're doing. And then we'll go from there. Okay. All right, you're still on. Okay, Maria, talk again. can unmute yourself and say hello. And then, uh, Ron, I might ask you if we can't get this figured out is to log in through the web browser, not through the app. 
um, and use your computer web browser. Okay, that might yes. be our best. Is it any different now? Now it is. Now okay. I can hear you. Fantastic. Excellent. Crisis okay. averted. <laughs> Crisis averted. Okay, roll back. Ron, who the hell are you? Where are you coming from? Tell us how this all happened. Go ahead. Yeah. Good afternoon, everyone. Um, I'm Ron Anderson. I am a recently retired senior vice chancellor and provost of the Minnesota State System, which is a system of both two-year community colleges as well as seven regional universities. I'm also a prior president of one of those community colleges within our state. So I've worked for a couple of decades within the Minnesota State System and have always been deeply involved with transfer, both from the sending institution side and then from the broader system side and done a lot of work uh, facilitating improvements to transfer across our system, uh, both within the system and to other colleges uh, in our state and neighboring states. So for me, the interest in the advisory board was much like Maria's. We've spent a lot of our uh, careers very much focused on increasing access for students and now really ensuring equitable outcomes now that we have uh, improvements in access, but not outcomes that have measured or have um, uh, mirrored that uh, expansion of access. So thinking about transfer is particularly important piece for us uh, within the state of Minnesota in particular with so many two-year college students uh, transferring into our own universities. Fantastic. And so I want to thank you both again for being here. And before getting to the follow-up question that uh, Maria just did very well uh, answering the first question uh, about you know, why the focus on accreditors and what are you hoping to get out of it? One of the things we talked about in the last show was about uh, terminology. And I just want to re revisit this for a minute for folks who either didn't hear the first show. If you haven't heard the first show, please make sure you go back because it really is about the business practice of transfer and what that all means. But we're really talking about students having credits that they are bringing with them to what I like to call their destination institution, the place where they are going to uh, get that bachelor's degree um, and um, uh, the place that they're seeking to, to make that happen. And as was brought up in the last show, and this is something we really got to get our heads wrapped around and really change the terminology and, and our understanding is that we have students, whether they're coming from a community college, they're coming from active duty, um, in the military, they're coming from high schools where maybe they are uh, cross-registered with a local institution, whether it be community college or another college in their neighborhood um, that allows you to take credits. Um, it's summertime um, or it's moving into summertime. There's a lot of young people who take, uh, they go and they do a high school program the summer between their junior and senior year in high school and they attain some credits. And then you have students who come in with AP credits. There is a lot of reasons people have credits and where they're coming in. And the idea that um, students are bringing these in and what we talked about in the last show was the very um, high amount of work it takes to assess these credits. It's really, uh, it's not something you shove through a computer or an AI system, even though that's something that in the next show we'll talk a little bit about how that might be something for the future. It's a big lift, it's a big shouldered burden uh, for uh, the institution that's accepting or hopefully accepting these credits, regardless of how they were acquired, okay? And so there's language here in this idea of, of what do these students look like? Who are the students? And one of the things we talked about last week as well, which I want us to keep in mind during this conversation, because I think it has value. Again, 
is that there is this idea of that a student who might be considered quote unquote transfer student is a lesser qualified student, which we need to get away from that. You have been accepted to the institution and that is all there is to it. And so um, there's a lot of reasons why I think that this beyond transfer, no easy solution uh, kind of concept really needs to us to take a look at it because the business practice of transfer is just, it's not necessarily working for the institution or for the student. Um, and your, your part where you're really focusing on accreditation is getting us to that scalable opportunity. We cannot expect one institution's actions to have as big a jump in terms of scalability than how an accreditor can provide that um, in terms of what they're, what, what they're pushing the institution to do. Um, so Ron, I wanna ask you, why should accreditors and institutions pay more attention to all the stuff I just threw out there um, and the mobility that students have of their credits? Why should, they, why should it matter so much uh, to the accreditors and the institutions? I think getting back to Maria's comments about the, you know, the purpose of accreditation and the role that it can play really as that external, a quasi-external agency, if you will, um, that is looking at institutional quality and excellence. And as part of that, we have, I think, traditionally been focused on individual institutions and students coming up through that institution from the beginning through their graduation. And as we look at what's happening nationally and um, the multitude of roles that more and more of our students play, they are not just 18-year-old white middle-class folks like me who our institutions were designed to serve, is not who we are primarily serving any longer. Right. So there are many more life factors coming into play for all of our students. Um, there is much more mobility, as we've been talking about. Um, and as the demographics change, that's not going to revert back to the way it was in the 60s and 70s, right? right? So as we look at what it really means to serve students, today we have to be thinking differently about how we've structured ourselves. I think fundamentally this really gets down to how have we built our higher ed system in the country? How do we think about what student trajectories look like? How do we accommodate um, mobility in a very different way than it was traditionally envisioned? Right? We've traditionally thought about it when we had to as vertical transfer, two year to four year. And as the advisory board talked for the last couple of years, we acknowledge there's, there are so many, there are so many different paths students take, two to two year, four year to two year, two year to four year, right? Four year to four year. So there are, and back and forth. So any given student may take any of those pathways. So when we look at, uh, I think, being um, viable in the future in terms of really serving students, if we're serious about equity and not just opening the doors and creating access, but really ensuring outcomes that matter for all members of our uh, society, we're going to have to look at transfer. And I think adopt or a perspective that is much more understanding and welcoming of transfer and realizing it is a one of many paths students come to us with and all of them are equally val valid and valuable and to your point about the, the quality and the rigor piece i think we're really going to be challenged to rethink what it means to have quality and in instruction in, in programs and what does rigor mean and rigor does not mean just if i didn't teach it maria didn't learn it yeah. which I think at our worst is some of the things that we have fallen into at times. Right, and, and we talked about that in the last show, is that at some institutions, it's the faculty who are in the discipline who are looking at the transcript. And, you know, I even um, 
I was saying to Maria when we were getting prepped for this, I used to work at a, a, a school that, that unfortunately closed. Um, and um, a student who had been uh, at my institution, and she was um, now going on to graduate school. She had completed her undergrad, thankfully, but she was going on to graduate school, and there was an opportunity for them to show um, maybe some, some uh, where she could maybe opt out of some classes in this graduate program by showing uh, some of the upper-level um, classes she had taken as an undergrad. And she said, they want my, not only my transcript, they want uh, the descri description that's in the catalog that we still have, that's still available. She's like, but they also want my syllabus. And I said, <laughs> I said, the only way we may be able to find that was reaching out to the former faculty member. And that was, you know, it just didn't happen. But I said, you know, but it was as I was reflecting on what we had been talking about last week and now this week, like, why do we create these like the hoops are not just hoops, they're fiery hoops. And it just creates this very difficult environment for the students. And I think there's also, and Maria, I'd like your thoughts on this. Do you think that, you know, going to what Ron was just saying, is this a more urgent issue right now or is it a different issue right now in terms of what we're experiencing? Is it because our demographics have changed? Is it because the cost of institutions? Yeah. And, you know, enrollment has, has escalated to the point it's escalated, you know, or you might say, nope, Laura, it's, it's all of the above. It, why, you know, or as, as the kids say, why not both? It's, it's everything. So what do you think about that? Well, I don't know about most people, but I feel a real sense of urgency to begin to address these problems that have been going on for years. Right. And I think what for those of us who are still working in higher ed, um, there's a great deal of pressure for public accountability to do better by way of all of the students. You know, the cost of college is uh, expensive. People make an investment, families invest in college, and they wanna see good results for their students. And I think, you know, all of us went into higher ed with the, the hope of helping these students. And so I feel a great sense of urgency, perhaps now because I'm towards the ending part of my career, to really see what we can do together uh, to create systemic change, large scale change, not just boutique programs where maybe one community college and one university have figured out transfer pathways that are productive and work, but for the millions of students that are in community colleges across the nation, who want to transfer, who desire to transfer to a destination, as you called it, institution, to figure it out on a more broad scale basis that offers better outcomes and more equity for all of these students. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, accreditation is a heavy lift for anybody who's gone through an accreditation process and like 10 year review knows this very deeply. Um, and the changing standards that each of these accrediting bodies might have don't happen overnight. Like I remember I'm, I'm part of NECHI uh, up here in New England. They went through a change in their standards and it took a long time, lots of people chiming in. It's not something they can just switch, uh, you know, flip a switch on. Um, but you argue that there are historical examples of how accreditors have shifted higher education culture. Can you tell us more about this for those of us who worry about the glacial pace of change in higher education, but how can accreditors actually make that happen? Ron, I'm gonna start with you and then I'm gonna ask Maria a follow-up. 
Sure. I think probably one of the most um, popular examples is the assessment of student learning, right? And uh, student outcomes. How do we know that students are actually learning what we purport to teach them in our classrooms and through our programs? And accreditation has been a huge lift or help, I should say, for uh, institutions to really keep that focus um, for decades, right? I'd like to, I wish we could say that we've got that nailed down, but we don't. <laughs> We're still struggling with that. Uh, but it has been a, a very big change for us in terms of how we think about what we do and the need to be able to ask the question and answer the question and then utilize what we've learned at the program and even course level uh, and institution level in the gen ed sense and make the changes that are needed to ensure that that greater learning occurs. So I think that's a, a really um, good example of where accreditors came in and said, hey, you all have to start doing this. It's not going to be just counting how many people did you bring in, you know, how many graduated, da, 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 those things that we continue to look at, but really understanding more deeply what's happening. Uh, I think one of the challenges that, that we talked a bit about with um, our, on the advisory committee or group is that um, the, the standards are set in very broad terms, right? They are not prescriptive. Um, frankly, I think that's a problem for us. Yeah. I think there yeah. needs to be more prescription because it's very easy to say, well, I, this is what I do and that that's just kind of the way it is. But how do we really think about how accreditation can be more prescriptive in terms of really setting expectations of things institutions will do relative to understanding transfer, documenting it, studying the results and looking at uh, outcomes and uh, the extent to which they're equitable or inequitable, and then moving to make change on that. Rather than saying, as is pretty typical, you have to have a transfer policy, you have to do some things, you have to tell students what you're doing. That's great. Uh, but that's what we've been doing for decades and, and really doesn't get us to the place where we're making a substantive, substantive difference in, uh, in transfer outcomes for students. Fantastic. You know, the, um, I have some other thoughts on this in terms of what we're actually assessing it. And to your point, though, Ron, is that that idea of being a little bit more like, no, no, we've got to nail this down. This is what we're going to we're going to evaluate you on this. Are you actually hitting this number? Yeah. Um, and I think we need to do a little more of that. I think it, some people might find it saber rattling, but I'm like, no, you know what? We, we need to make sure. And, and right now, when higher education, the trust in higher education is at a, a pretty low point. Um, the more we can do to gain the trust of folks who are um, turning to higher education for themselves or for their children, um, they we need to we need to earn their trust back, um, and this might be a way to do that. Um, Maria, I want to ask you to talk to us about how um, this this idea of engaging with accreditors uh, provides you hope for how it can align with the changing transfer short-term mindset approach. In the last show, we talked about how it was, um, I think one of, the, one of the guests called it like a sugar fix. It was like, we're gonna bring in transfers, it's gonna bring us some money and that's great, but it's not, it's, it's too much of a short-term mindset and we have to actually see this in a long-term trajectory. Um, and improving the mechanisms that are currently in practice that, so how do you see this, this idea of what Ron was putting out there in terms of that uh, alignment with accreditors, how do we, how does that actually help us get rid of that, that sugar fix attitude? Well, yeah, I, I love the example that Ron used a minute ago of student learning outcomes assessment, because I remember when we were first being asked, 
to um, account for that in our accreditation self-study reports and in our site visits, there was conversation and people just, you know, really felt like the accreditors had gone too far in starting to ask about this. We, we, you know, have a grading system here. We don't have to explain it to external sources. And yet what happened was over a series of decades where the accreditors kept focusing on this and people became more comfortable with examining what best practices were going on at other institutions and thinking more deeply about why we're doing what we're doing and how we're doing those things, a great deal of change actually occurred. And that's what we're hoping might happen in this regard with credit mobility and uh, on behalf of students who move between institutions is that by focusing on it and by having everybody begin to take a look at disaggregating their data uh, carefully and starting to examine how we're really doing on behalf of all of these groups of students, not just in the aggregate, but, you know, broken down because so many, for me, a part of the urgency is the reality is that so many of our Black, uh, Latinx, Native American, low-income students, working adults begin at the country's community colleges but aspire maybe to finish their bachelor's degrees. And in the absence of anybody addressing these big systemic problems that we're having on behalf of those students, um, it, it won't get fixed. And it's not going to be something that can be fixed quickly. It's going to take this kind of every all hands on deck approach. We all need to be working on this together and accrediting agencies have the influence and the power to get us all headed in that direction. They have their thumb on the scale, which is which we need that. You know, what you just said, Maria, um, brings me to my next question. And this is, I uh, pulled this from the, from the white paper. There are barriers to completion, and you outline them very well in the white paper, noting that, quote, 80% of students who enter community college intend to transfer and obtain a bachelor's degree, yet just 14% complete a bachelor's degree in six years, end quote. And when you dig at the data, to your point, black and brown students find their completion rate is even lower. Um, and this should be a warning for accreditors. So Ron, my question to you, is it a warning for accreditors or are they just not paying attention? I think it, it's quite varied actually in my experience. I think um, one of the strengths of the accreditation process is that campus, uh, individual campus folks are part of the teams that come to visit. So they understand what it looks like at the institution level, they understand um, the different dynamics at play. Um, and you may get in a particular visit, a team of folks who are very attuned to transfer and another visiting team may not have that. So there's a bit of a challenge, I think, in terms of consistency of the process itself and then lacking a more prescriptive um, approach to things, how I talk about it at my institution or what I look at could be quite different than how Maria and her campus looks at things. That's not a bad thing necessarily, but are we both actually looking at things in the right way? And I think this um, notion of making sure that we're examining data and that we are looking at the outcomes and that we're disaggregating by multiple different student identities and, ex and um, groupings to understand what's going on ought to be something that is expected of every institution. And we ought to be able to speak to what we observe, why we think what is happening is happening, and what we're going to do about it to really change the outcomes. 
I don't think that is a um, universal expectation at this point, and I think that's where accreditors uh, could really help us move things along as well to say not just in the issue of transfer, but in uh, outcomes, generally speaking, for students. How are we thinking about the data? How are we analyzing it? What kinds of qualitative aspects are we adding to those rates of success that help us understand what's happening with students? Yeah, that's great. Um, and that's an important question to ask. And I think it would be very interesting to be on a, on a, a fly on a wall, so to speak, in a room of the heads of accreditation uh, agencies and ask them this question to say, look, you know, what, what do we care about? What are we really trying to do? Um, and, uh, you know, I, I'm more and more questioning this idea of the business practice. Is that driving our accreditation practice? Um, you know, when I remember uh, uh, when I was in uh, graduate school, when I was in my doctoral program, and I was in a class where we were talking about accreditation, a class on accreditation, and the, the professor said, uh, you know, higher education is the only field that accredits itself. And if you were to, if someone were to tell you, oh, well, you know, the airline industry accredits itself, would you ever fly again? And, and I'm like, no, I, <laughs> no, I, I would not, <laughs> you know? And, and that is, in, and she also brought up this idea that, you know, when a, when a campus loses its accreditation, that's one less campus, that's part of, that's part of the body that helps fund accreditation. So. It's, it doesn't make business sense for the accreditor to tell a campus you're getting dinged or you're, you're losing your accreditation. Um, so it, it is about trust and it is it, there is a huge reason to do this and ground it in this level of trust. Um, you know, I want to hear from Maria on, on as you were looking at access and equity and what you were hearing from uh, your research. Tell us more about your findings related to access and equity and the potential for advancement of completion rates uh, should accreditors get behind this. See, that's a great question. Um, I, I do have great faith that if accreditors can get behind this and institutions buy into this notion that we can dramatically improve not just the enrollment of transfer students, at destination institutions, but their completion of their bachelor's degree or whatever their particular goal was. Um, now, there's a lot of things that will need to change in order to have that happening and to have it happen across broad numbers of students. Uh, there's a lot of institutional change, not just within a given state, but across systems, across state borders uh, on a national scale. Um, let me see what else I can add to that. And Ron, if you have some thoughts, I'd like to hear from you too. Yeah, feel free to chime in, Ron, at any point. And if not, we can move on to the next question. <laughs> All right, well, let's go on to, to the next one because I think that you know, it's, it's actually a good bridge because one of the themes of this whole project is no easy answers and we're getting into the no easy answers category here. And in your paper, uh, you specify two policy approaches that are potential, quote, simple answers to, towards fixing transfer. Um, before getting into your recommendations, let's get to why these simple answers aren't the only solutions needed. And these are the two that you've outlined. Number one, 
make it the law that if an institution is accredited, another accredited institution must accept and apply all credits from the institution. Um, so I'm going to give that one to Ron. And then Maria, your one that I want to hear from you on is convert community college to baccalaureate granting institutions so that students don't have to transfer to finish. So I'd like your thoughts on those two uh, simple answers um, that may not actually get us to the outcome we want. So Ron, I'm going to start with you and then Maria, I'm going to go to you. Yeah. Uh, well, I think it, part of the the issue underlying this, uh, that first question about uh, making a law that institutions credit they have to accept and apply, really gets to the, I think for me, what's the crux of a lot of our transfer challenges. And that is, how do you deal with the way in which we've built curriculum and programs historically, which was not for transfer, with transfer in mind. It was to bring in students to the institution, have a comprehensive, cohesive program that hangs together. I think one of the challenges we have in talking about credit mobility too often is that folks think a degree equals an accumulation or an aggregation of credits. Right. That's not true. Right. Yes, they do add up to a certain thing, but they, but just accumulating 60 credits does not merit an associate's degree or 120 a bachelor's degree. So the tension that comes out of that then with an accreditation expectation that curriculum is designed to be cohesive, lead to a series of program outcomes and uh, that are linked to employment and, and outside, you know, post-secondary um, uh, life, if you will, um, leads us to build our curriculum in a certain way. So that when we think about applying credits, a credit isn't a credit, right? Uh, you know, just adding up the credits that I um, took and things that I was interested in and then trying to apply them to a major it doesn't make intuitive sense, it doesn't make logical sense when you look at a program outcome that you're trying to achieve. On the flip side of that, I think we have an opportunity now that for me is really exciting to think about, which is how do we think about redesigning curriculum in a way that it is my responsibility as a faculty member not only to be able to teach and understand and work within a program with these program outcomes and at my campus, but then how do I bring in transfer students that may have different aspects of the curriculum that they have been exposed to, but not everything we built into ours, right? So we're very, uh, for lots of good reasons, programs get customized at the institutional level to serve local specific needs. They might be more focused on data analytics, for example, within a completely different discipline, which is a great thing. However, if I'm a transfer student and the institution where I took half of those lower division credits didn't have data analytics woven in, what do you do with me? Right. right? And I think that's the problem with simply saying, just accept it all, apply it to graduation. It reduces it to more of an aggregation of credits and not a cohesive package of credits. At the same time, we have to become better in higher ed in dealing with the, um, the heterogeneity of content and outcomes students have been exposed to in transfer and figuring out how do we bridge them into our local curriculum. Right, excellent. Um, I'm glad you're differentiating there. So Maria, I want your thoughts on uh, on the second uh, simple uh, answer that's not really a simple answer, which is the right. converting of the college to uh, baccalaureate. Well, it's interesting because Arizona just passed a law that allows community colleges to offer bachelor's degrees. And the community colleges around our state are working hard to figure out what bachelor's degrees are needed in their communities and how they would go about offering them. But 
that isn't going to fix it for a lot of students. It will fix it for some students to not have to transfer at all, to be able to stay at the college they've grown to know and love and finish out their whole degree there. But in our state, there are some metropolitan areas and there are some very remote and rural areas in Arizona. And those small colleges aren't going to be able to offer all the interest areas and degree opportunities that a student may want. So if I'm living in Kingman, Arizona, or uh, Douglas, Arizona, there might not be a journalism program offered at my local community college. There might not be an engineering program, uh, an aviation program. Who knows what might be available and what might not. So I still don't think, even though that's one option for community colleges to offer baccalaureate degrees, I still don't think it's going to fix everything. Those are kind of simplified solutions that people come up with all the time that aren't really going to be pervasive enough or helpful enough for large numbers of students uh, to really make a dent in the issue here. Right. And you're already seeing some pushback from some folks. There was a, an article, I think, in Inside Higher Ed this week um, saying that, you know, yeah, we love the fact that the Biden administration is trying to create these career ready opportunities and helping community colleges advance uh, in spaces where we need employees in these career ready spaces. But we need to remember is that higher education is a is not a trade institution. And what does that actually look like? So I think you already have some there's some philosophical realities around some of these uh, opportunities to maybe get a, a student an, an associate's degree um, in, a, in a discipline, but then they say, oh no, but we, if they wanna keep moving um, up and receiving that bachelor's degree, how do we make sure that it's, it's not just the math of how many credits you attain, it's actually the whole package in terms of the quality of, the, of all the, the uh, all the courses and, and how they all interact with each other. So absolutely. Right. Well, and Laura, to Ron's point earlier about that, um, that we want both the credits to transfer, but apply to the program of study. Sometimes that works, but sometimes it's not so easy. You know, there are even programmatic specific accreditation organizations like yep. ABED or AACSB or things that make it more difficult to happen. Now, that's less likely to happen in the freshman and sophomore level courses that are more general studies kinds of things that really should. There's really few yeah. excuses as to why those shouldn't be transferring and transferring yeah. well. But when it gets to more discipline specific courses, um, you know, there's a lot of challenges with making this work. Uh, to Ron's point, the program coherence for the student to make sure that they can do things. But you also want to ensure that all of these students who are aiming for a bachelor's degree get a chance for those high income bachelor's degrees. There's big differences in earning power based upon the type of program you finish and complete that can either be your launch pad into these fa fabulous careers or not so much, even though you've invested similar kinds of time and resources and money. So I do think those things are really important considerations as people are looking at um, all of these issues, program coherence, achievement of certain skill sets, applicability of credits, not just transfer of credit. All of these things have to be into place yep. to work well for students. 
I, before we get into solutions, because there are some recommendations um, based on, on, on your research and what is out there, but I want to know from uh, either both of you or one of you, you know, sometimes it's about asking the right questions. And I'm wondering, are there questions that the accreditors are not asking about this transfer mobility, about this credit mobility and the transfer process? Do you think there's just some obvious questions out there that are just not being asked by the accreditors? I'll start. Yeah, I think absolutely. I think um, really trying to understand how does an institution think about transfer students and where does a transfer student or a student with credits from elsewhere actually fit into the mission and the, the, um, the vision of the institution and where they're putting their time and energy, right? And I think some yeah. of those basic questions about, is this a priority for you? Uh, is it an afterthought if it's a priority? Why is it a priority? Is it a priority because, oh, I want enrollment and I'll do anything I can to get enrollment? You know, there's there's a cynicism of folks about, well, that's all you really care about. And I don't think that's true at our institutions, but I think that's a piece of it. Um, I think that um, really understanding what an institution is committed to and, and can do currently and where they want to go and uh, in the future and what they're going to focus on is just really important uh, from the accreditation standpoint. I also think a, an intriguing question that I've been grappling with lately is, um, what if accreditors came into an institution and rather than saying, um, I see that you, you didn't deem these courses equivalent so you didn't apply them towards the uh, graduation requirement or you didn't accept them at all. What if it was turned on its head and instead you have to articulate why didn't you apply that? That's a very different perspective because the burden is on the student right now. I want to, I have to right. argue that I have that. What if you have to show to me as a faculty member or a department that I don't, right? I mean, that we have the information about them. Why is it not um, going to apply towards a degree? That gets at a very different perspective, I think, in terms of thinking through what do we mean by saying something is applicable? And if it isn't, um, you know, meeting everything I thought it ought to, maybe Maria thinks it is fine, right? And how do, so how do you grapple with that? How does the institution actually go through that decision-making process uh, when it's encountering new equivalencies? Hopefully we're at a stage now where once equivalencies are established, you know, they're recorded and that, that's not reviewed every time. I wish I could say that's where we are universally, but I know within our own Minnesota state system, we, we found oftentimes we still reviewed things that had already been reviewed and awarded for certain people, but for some reason we're looking at them again. So how do you streamline that from a process standpoint, I think is another important aspect. And I always say the important thing is the process. If the process is lousy, the outcome's lousy, and that's that's all there is to it. So if you're, if you're looking at something two, three times, then you're, you've got a messed up process. So process. Um, Maria, are there any other things that you think that are uh, kind of right in front of the accreditors that they're not asking that you'd like to see them asking? Well, I, I come back to what you just said, which is the process is important. Yeah. Just focusing people, uh, you know, attention on getting people to reflect on their particular student population and what they're doing on behalf of those students. Uh, earlier, Laura and I were talking a little bit about um, orientation. Well, how many institutions do we know that do really, they go all out for freshman orientation, 
but for transfer orientation, not so much. <laughs> That's just one of dozens and dozens of examples of things that if they could just get people to reflect on the lived experience of these students who would be coming in in this different mode with some of their work already done, what do we do to ensure their success in our institution? Uh, how long does it take for us to evaluate their transfer credit? How did it apply into their program of study? Um, was that equitable across the groups of students? How did we disaggregate the data to make sure it's not just for certain groups of students, it seems to be working pretty well, and for others, again, not so much. So I think there's just by focusing as a process on this, it will force people to reflect on who they're serving and their unique circumstances, who their transfer partners are, all of those kinds of things, which should, as a process, help us improve. Yes, absolutely. Um, so let's move to the recommendations. Um, you've got a set of recommendations and we wanna dig into some of them here. For the institutions, you're saying investigate your accreditor's policy and standards, set the expectation that accreditation should foster continuous improvements in transfer and credit mobility for the accreditors themselves, um, maximize your influence, uh, develop or use guidance related to this critical issue of transfer. And then for both institutions and accreditors, debunk the myths of transfer and develop a healthy culture of data uh, use that evaluates the critical nature of transfer and credit mobility. Those three remind me that there are some institutions doing good work. And Maria, I want you to talk a bit about your findings in institutions that are doing good work. And I believe your institution is one of them. I, I do think there are a lot of institutions who are doing really good work, both at the community college level, kind of getting out ahead of career planning with students so that they're making the right course choices early that align with the pathway into the bachelor's degree program that they're interested in. I think there are a lot of universities beginning to do good work in terms of um, quick credit evaluation and fair and consistent credit evaluation across various students who are coming in. Technology can be a huge help with that, with streamlining those processes, particularly if you're like at ASU where you have over 100,000 students, 20,000 or so of whom every year are new transfer students. Uh, you have to begin to get processes in place to be fair and equitable. Uh, but in terms of our recommendations, there's um, two things if people would take time to read the white paper that I think they'll find of interest. One is that I do think that sometimes people fall into the uh, thinking that the accreditors won't let us do it. And we've tried to include a guide in the back of the paper that outlines all of the regional uh, accrediting agencies and what their transfer policies are. So the links are there so you can go and look. And I think it behooves us all to become more familiar with what our accreditation policies are, because I suspect there's more institutional barriers than there are accrediting barriers to serving these students better. The second inquiry guide, and I'll let Ron elaborate more on this, um, is basically geared towards helping either institutional professionals or people involved in the accreditation process ask the right questions, um, ask people to provide the data 
about how these students are doing and what is happening in the institution relative to that. And I think that inquiry guide in particular is really useful as a practitioner in higher ed, um, something that could help a lot at your institutions. Ron, why don't you fill in the rest there? Sorry, uh, <laughs> I was listening to Maria so much that I lost your original question. So could you repeat it for me and I can build on it? Well, I wanna, I wanna talk a little bit about those recommendations and who's doing oh, good yes. work. But I think one of the things yeah. that Maria was just talking about was that what are the guideposts? Like you currently have uh, opportunities in the report and uh, yes. in, the, in the replay, um, there is going to be links to the report so people can read it. Yeah. Um, but are there other aspects that are out there that the that um, maybe are currently happening and if we can actually build off of some of the better practices um, that institutions can uh, take some of the, they can kind of demystify this, both the institution level and at the um, accreditor level? Yeah. But I think an important part of it, as Maria was talking about, is really understanding what the... Um, what are the accreditation standards? How do they relate, right? Yes. And I think at the institutional level, during a review period, preparing for a self, uh, preparing for an accreditation visit, everyone's very, very focused, right? For a time limited uh, You can frame. say focus or panicked, one or the other. Yeah, yeah. both, right. <laughs> <laughs> but honestly, that's not where we live every day. And right. so one of the cultural changes, I think that we really have to, to grapple with is, um, keeping that as just part of our normal daily thinking in business at an institution. It's not about the once every six years, eight years, 10 years that, oh my gosh, I've got to think about this right. stuff again. Uh, it's making that whole um, mindset of understanding what are the things that we need to be attending to? What kind of data are we collecting and analyzing routinely to look at that? So it just becomes part of how we do what we do, as opposed to a, something that we're doing as an add-on. And I think right. given particularly just coming out of the really difficult years of the pandemic, um, everyone is has so many things on their plate. There is nobody sitting around. I, I've got the benefit right now of being retired where I can sit around and think about this and thinking, oh, it'd be really neat to do X, Y, and Z. I never had the time to do that as a system provost or a campus provost. Um, so how do you, how do you well, move like, things around in a way that that just becomes part of what you do? It, it right, reminds me a right. bit of the assessment piece of, you know, getting assessment of student learning. It took us a while to get, realize, yep, that's part of, we just need to build in. I think that's a piece here as well. When we think about transfer and um, credit mobility in particular, what is it the accreditors are asking of us? How can we partner with them to do a better job with this? And that it isn't a gotcha kind of thing, and which is how it's very often feels right on the campus side. Um, oh, I got to get over this hurdle. So everything is great in the back end. But how do we really leverage that process and to help us make change within our campuses? And I think if you step back beyond just the transfer piece, for me, it all gets back to how committed are we as institutions to looking at our systems and moving to become equitable institutions. That's really what it gets down to at the end of the day, because this is just another area we have to, in we which... have to go back to the public good. Yep. Exactly. This is a specific area where this is coming up and then we can uh, uh, apply attention, but it's not the only one, right? And, and the, the same issues are at hand, I think, across the board. So uh, for me, that's what a lot of it is, is understanding what the accreditation landscape look like. How are our boards understanding this, are they understanding it? How can they help our institutions or our systems, depending on the kind of board you have, really maintain our focus here? 
Um, when we think about institutional accountability, presidential accountability, all of those pieces feed in. So how do we move all of these levers at the same time to try to make positive change? But at the end of the day, it really gets back to the need, I believe, for us to rethink how we've structured ourselves, how we've built higher ed, and to really focus it on the students that we see today and how to make sure that what we do provides an equitable path for all of the students. Right. You know, as you were all um, kind of talking about all of this, I think one of the things that also is going through my head is, is that while <laughs> institutions may move slowly and creditors may move slowly, federal government moves even slower. And so some of the things that we actually collect in terms of, you know, federal recommendations, what, what is required in terms of six-year graduation rates and all of this kind of thing. I just, I wish there was some think tank that you could just sit everybody in a room and lock the door and say, all right, we're not leaving until we get all these damn, like, expectations, numbers, and all these things lined up because we are, yeah. we are talking out of both sides of our mouth. We're not making things connect. And ultimately, it's not serving the student very well. And as, as we've all known, anyone who has sat down with a dear colleague letter knows it takes 16 weeks to figure the damn thing out. And then even from there, we don't even know what we're, we're capable of doing. You know, so I, I think that as we look at all this, there's, there's some real opportunity here to do, to do better at every level, institution, accreditor, uh, system-wide, um, I miss system-wide. So you've got institutions, system-wide, accreditor, and then up to the federal government and, and all of that. Um, I'm going to plug the next show, um, but before I do that, I want you both to reflect on um, the question I want to send you out with, which is, what do you hope happens? What do you hope happens as a result of the work of uh, Beyond Transfer? And uh, what does that look like uh, for you? So. Uh, on June the 1st uh, will be our final show in this three-part series, um, and in that show, uh, we're going to focus on the students and how the promise of transfer doesn't line up with reality. Um, with students today moving in and out of work and learning experiences at a higher rate, it is imperative that transfer process be one that supports student outcomes, and we're going to be joined uh, by uh, several of the folks who wrote that last piece. And we want to make sure that we're talking about not just outcomes, but also uh, how much it's costing these students because it's costing them more than we think it is. And that's really uh, a disappointing thing. So uh, Ron and then Maria, I want to ask you both to send us out with your thoughts and what you hope people get out of this. And I'm going to start with Ron and then go to Maria. Great. My hope is really that it, it can spur some conversation and people's thinking to really begin to question or to continue questioning more deeply um, how it is we are managing credit, credit mobility, uh, working with students coming to our institutions, and what do our processes look like, and how do we get beyond just the nibbling on the edges and start having the conversations about what does this really mean from a curriculum and program standpoint, what does it mean from a serving student standpoint? And how can we do things differently? Not just better, it's not just tweaking. We've been tweaking for a long time. How do we really fundamentally change how we think about uh, the mobility of students and learning and application of that learning to a credential? Yeah, and to add to that, I would say that my hope is that um, these conversations, that it just gets somebody inspired. You know, higher ed professionals, 
are just so busy day in and day out anymore that I think sometimes taking a moment and having somebody frame an issue for you like you're doing in your professional development series here uh, just gives you a chance to think more deeply about what it is we're trying to accomplish and how we go about that work. And so a moment for personal reflection, for personal thought and growth and examination of the data at your own institution, that's what I hope our work as a policy advisory board will help people begin to do. Well, I hope that as people have been thinking about this today, really engage with your accreditor. I want you to use the resources in uh, the publication, go and look at your accreditor, see what they're asking and push them to do more at your level. Or what can you do and say, hey, they're already asking these questions. Let's, let's show it. Let's actually make this happen at our institution. Um, I am going to say I've been thinking a lot about this series, and my husband works at a university here in Massachusetts, and I said, do you, when you welcome your students at the start of the year, does the president get up and say, how many transfer students are coming in? How many veterans are coming in? How many students actually came in with existing credit? Does anyone talk about that? And he was like, no. I said, well, you should. And, and, you know, and we need to start to do that because I honestly think that even with that first announcement, that first uh, opportunity to sit down with the faculty, when the provost sits down with the faculty and says, let me tell you what the first year class, let's tell you what this incoming class looks like. Just reframing what is stress at that meeting, at that announcement, that starts the culture shift happening and the actions start to, to kind of move with it. So I am just absolutely jazzed. It's so great to have you here, Maria and Ron. Thank you so much. This has been Office Hours with Dr. DeVoe. It is a live audio broadcast aired and recorded on the Fireside platform. I am your host, Dr. Laura DeVoe, and I thank you for listening. Be sure to subscribe to my newsletter, What's Up in the Academy. It is the number one higher education newsletter on the Substack platform. And follow me here on Fireside, on Post News, on LinkedIn. And links to subscribe are available uh, through the show notes. And you will have all the information on our guests and on how to read Beyond Transfer um, and add it to your summer reading list. Okay, everybody, thanks for being here. Have a great day and get out there and learn something. So long.